Well, I missed being with you this last week. My family was uh, down in Florida. We were on a trip together down on the, uh, the, the, the coast, enjoying the beach and finding shells and building sandcastles. It was just some good family time. But I've been aching to get back to this particular text with you because we started just a couple of weeks ago a sermon series entitled Unity. We'll be preaching through Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I said in the intro back when I started a couple of weeks ago that the enemy seeks to attack the church in any way possible, and when the church is resolved against external attacks, the world's not getting in here, we're going to work hard to do what's right. When the enemy cannot destroy us from outside, he endeavors to destroy us from within. That's why it's so important for believers to always be on guard for unity in the body. Churches need to be constantly watchful for the enemy's next attack, inevitable next attack, that may come against relationships within the body. New Testament authors consistently and repeatedly, one, warn us about the destructive potential of division amongst believers, and two, encourage us to stand united. The entire New Testament presupposes that Christians will certainly encounter conflicts among one another. It is a given that friction will will be amidst saints. This is certain. It is unavoidable. Paul, who wrote Colossians, he expects this. Peter, who wrote in the New Testament as well, expects this. John, James, Luke, even Jesus fully expects that Christians are going to have to manage conflict with one another. In fact, every single book of the New Testament expects that there will be conflict in the church sphere, and most of those books give explicit instructions on how to deal with the conflict that may come about, because unity is a worthy thing to fight for. Now, in our first week in this series, I just covered a single verse of our text. Again, we're in Colossians chapter 3, so you can go and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 right now. I'm just going to read through verses 12 through 17. That's what we're going to be looking at over the course of this series. Last time I did verse 12. Today, we're just going to cover verse 13. But let's read through the whole section there together so we have it in our minds. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back in and... Uh, especially unpack verse 13. Let's do 12 through 17 together. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we love and rejoice in you and your word. And we ask this morning as we look at these particular verses, and especially in verse 13, that you just equip us to understand uh, how these need to be applied to our lives. Uh, Father, I personally pray right now as I've endeavored to 
um, unpack such an important topic of overlooking complaints and forgiving one another. God, I know there's so many different ways to approach this topic. The, the word is rife, just absolutely packed with teaching on the idea of forgiveness. Father, the, the theological forgiveness of you forgiving our sins in Christ Jesus the practical and personal forgiveness that we're supposed to have with each other, even with non-believers in our lives. Father, there's so many different ways that I could have organized these thoughts, and I know that as I've been praying and asking for your help and guidance in this, I pray that it would be fruitful this morning as we seek to learn how to forgive one another as we look to you as our perfect example. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. Let's go back through to the text we're going to be covering today. I'm going to back up one verse so you see it on the slides here. We're going to look at verse 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Quick reminder about what we covered here last week. Paul started by telling us who we are and then what we should do. That's what he did. He told us who we are and what we should do. He told us that we were holy, beloved, we were God's chosen ones. And this is just what we are if we're believers. We have been made this by the Father in Christ Jesus. And that's not owing to any worth in us. It's not something that we attain over time if we've efforted very well and, and we're at achieving a level of sanctification. We become these things. No, we are granted this status, not as a result of our efforts, but only by the grace of God. Paul then told us what we should do. Put on then these qualities, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, you might notice here that so far, everything in verse 12 is going wonderfully. This, this simply just describes, in short form, the perfect church. If everyone only ever did verse 12 all the time, we'd have no problems at all. If everyone always dealt with one another this way, we'd be good. But again, as I said in the intro, the Bible expects this is going to be a challenge. This kind of harmony is challenging to attain. And it's even harder to hold on to. Inevitably, we're going to have to deal with issues. And verse 13 begins to unpack what we should do in those inevitable instances. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bearing with one another. That's what he starts with here. And what might come to your mind is something I brought up actually last time we were in this text. I looked at Galatians chapter 6. It's another text that tells us how to love one another well and work in unity with one another. Galatians 6 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As you see the bearing language, you might have that in mind. That's what happened in my mind as soon as I read this text. Ah, bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. We should help each other with our burdens. But you'll notice that's not the same object in this sentence. This verse is saying something different. In Galatians 6, the object of the bearing is the burdens. What should you bear? Burdens. You should help somebody else when they need help. 
But here in Colossians 3, the object of the bearing is people. It's others. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Quite simply, we are commanded to bear, forbear, endure, or simply put up with one another. This is dealing with a person who's acting in such a way that it agitates you. You have to put up with certain behaviors, certain attitudes, habits. We need to develop thick skin with other people. We need to not get too easily rattled or agitated, not become too easily offended by things. We must have the wisdom to know what things we should just let go of for the sake of peace. That's putting up with other people. Do you know people in your life you have to put up with? Depending on how well you get to know people, you're going to eventually have to put up with everyone to some degree or another. It's one of the things that I often try to unpack when I'm doing premarital counseling and even doing a wedding sermon is, listen, you might be all gaga-eyed right now. The day's going to come. You're going to have to put up with stuff. After you realize that thing you thought was so cute about her or him, it's not so cute after she's done it a thousand times, and all of a sudden you've got to put up with it. This is a very typical way we have to manage our feelings for other people. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense, to let it go, bear with one another. To bear with one another simply means to tolerate or to accommodate even the behaviors, attitudes, or characteristics that we find unpleasant in others. And to do so without taking action to correct those things. I think that's the important part. To put up with somebody else, to bear with one another, is to accommodate without taking action. Oh, I'll put, I'll put up with them. I'll put up with them. I go telling them what they've done wrong and how they need to change. Whoa, whoa. That's not here. That's not what this is. Putting up with is letting go. This is harder for some people than others. Some people, I think, have a real hard time letting go of things. Others have an easier time letting go of things. If you have a hard time, if you're one of those like super hyper type A people who have a real hard time letting go things that you see and observe in others, perhaps others are having to put up with that attribute in you, right? All of us have to put up with others and that has to happen to us as well. We've got to recognize that we are not the Holy Spirit Junior. It is not primarily our responsibility to be the self-appointed life coach of all the other believers around us. It's not our primary job to figure out what needs to be changed in all the others around you and then go set yourself about making those changes. In fact, your life will be a lot happier if you can just simply learn to do this more. Just put up with it. Let it go. Not my job. I think of putting up with others as the grease that keeps things running smoothly in church life. It just has to be present. If it's not there, if you don't have a spirit of just letting things go, that means that you're going to find friction where friction need not be. There's going to be rubs where it really doesn't need to be a rub. That's, that's something you could, you could just overlook that. That's not a significant thing. You just need to let that go. Put up with or bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Complaint. I found this a really interesting word. 
as I was breaking this down. It's the only exact use of this word in the New Testament. It's used in different forms elsewhere. Fault, blemish is used as well in other places. But complaint, it's an ambiguous word. It's not very specific. And I think that the ambiguity of Paul's word choice here is very intentional because it necessarily covers a wide range of different circumstances that you might find yourself in. Complaint. A complaint might be owing to something innocuous, like an annoyance, an annoying habit. That person who continually interrupts you when you're talking. The kind of thing you should just learn to put up with, like we just covered. That's just, just a complaint over an annoyance. It might be owing to an offense. You see, an offense is not necessarily a clear sin, but something that is nevertheless, nevertheless frustrating to deal with. You invited everyone to the party except for me. Well, where does it say in the Bible I can't do that? Well, I don't have a verse, but I feel offended by you. See, that? that's what an offense is. It's not just a habit, an annoying personality characteristic. It's something that takes place, and you can't pin it to a verse. Well, it's that thing. That can be a complaint. It's just simply an offense. Or a complaint might be owing to a sin. You sinned against me in this way. I've got a complaint. And the complaint is, you sinned by doing this, and it's hurt me. Whatever the complaint, and I think this is why Paul uses an ambiguous term here, because it gives you that broad range, a broad application. Whatever the complaint, we must learn to forgive each other. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. In fact, there is no wrong that anyone could ever do against us. No fault No offense, no matter how benign or grievous, for which we are permitted to withhold forgiveness. You need to know God takes forgiveness very seriously. It's not one of those things, it's just a, oh, an add-on. Hey, and by the way, don't forget while you're doing things, it might be good occasionally to forgive if you're up to it. Forgiveness is not something to play around with. I want to show you just a couple of verses. This is all over, especially the New Testament. But I want you to hear a couple of these things. They're shocking to hear these words, especially from Jesus. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is strong language. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. There's a king and there's a servant, and the servant owes a debt of money to the king of an insurmountable amount. I mean, it is, it is lifetime's worth of debt accumulated by this servant, and he pleads with the king. He begs him, and the king has pity upon him, and the exact language is that he gives him forgiveness. He forgives him the debt, a full pardon for the debt. And this servant goes on, happily skipping his way out of that throne room, and he finds another guy, a fellow servant, who has a debt, who he has a debt against, who owes him. And rather than reciprocating what he just got from the king and sharing that, passing that good along with others, he begins to literally choke 
this other servant, demanding that he pay every penny and demanding that he be thrown into prison in order to pay for it. This was a pretty powerful parable because other servants sees what goes down. They don't forgive what goes down. They send him over to the king. The king says, what? I forgave you all this debt you did not forgive? And then he throws the guy into prison to pay every single dime. And this is how Jesus summarizes the moral of the story, so to speak, at the end of that parable, Matthew 18, 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's no way around it. Forgiveness is a big deal to God. As believers, you and I are never allowed to withhold forgiveness from one another, ever. Now, that being the case, and this demand being so weighty, so significant, it is utterly critical that we understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Let's start with what forgiveness is. I just want to give you a kind of an English word definition that matches what forgiveness is in the Bible as well. Forgiveness is to give up the desire or power to punish. It's a legal term. It's to pardon someone. Forgiveness is to give up the desire or power to punish This is what happens at the cross. This is what forgiveness is in Christ. It's a legal exchange where we are pardoned from the sin debt that we have incurred. Acts chapter 10, verse 43 says, Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Through Christ's name and through his name alone do we get absolved, pardoned. For all the punishment that is due to us for our sins. Now in Christ, we as believers get far more than just forgiveness. We get more than forgiveness. We get a pardon for our sins. We get a pass on those things. We're no longer having punishment placed upon us for those sins. We get reconciliation. We get justification that is declared righteous before God. We get relational restoration with God in salvation. We even get the promise of perfect peace in eternity with Him. All of these things are true. When you're a believer, when you get saved, this is all the stuff you get. You get more than this, but you at least get this stuff. You get way more than just forgiveness. But the reason I'm saying that is because we experience this and see it in the Word all over the place, I think it is incredibly common for believers to conflate forgiveness with all those other wonderful things that we get. I think Christians unhelpfully conflate forgiveness with these other wonderful things. And so it is critical for us to understand what forgiveness is not, what forgiveness isn't. Just give me just a few of them. I think there's a whole bunch we could unpack, but just a few of them. Pique your interest, perhaps provide some helpfulness. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Those are two different things, biblically speaking. You get both in salvation in Christ. But forgiveness is not reconciliation. You see, reconciliation is the restoring of relational harmony. It is a wonderful and godly thing 
to attain. It's a wonderful and godly thing to pursue with other believers in your life. But it should not be confused with forgiveness. Reconciliation requires willing participation of two people. Forgiveness does not. You can't have reconciliation without forgiveness, but you can forgive someone and still not be fully reconciled with them. In other words, you may be able to forgive a person for hurting you, but they refuse to acknowledge they've done any wrong, and so you won't immediately become best friends with that person. Is that forgiveness? Can be. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness also is not rebuilt trust. Forgiveness can be offered quickly. Genuine forgiveness can and should be offered without delay. Give me a year and then I'll forgive. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is supposed to be prompt. But trust once broken may take a long time to rebuild. I've seen this many times while doing marriage counseling, especially. I'm helping people walk through all types of different marital issues. Husband does something, for example, that breaks trust. The wife kindly forgives, finds forgiveness in her heart for him in that. But as time goes on, the husband notices there's still something weird going down, and his assumption is you're not forgiving. That's the problem. You're not forgiving. That may not be true. Maybe she is offering you forgiveness, but there is still trust that needs to be rebuilt. It takes time to get that trust rebuilt. And again, forgiveness is required in order to rebuild trust, but it should not be confused with trust fully rebuilt. So forgiveness is not equated with reconciliation. Forgiveness is not equated with the rebuilding of trust. Third, forgiveness is not the erasure of consequences. And I think this is a really significant stumbling block for a lot of people when it comes to offering forgiveness. I don't know, I can't offer forgiveness because if I do, then that means no consequences for the wrong, no pursuit of anything that might be needed after this. Forgiveness is a disposition of the heart. It does not erase consequences. This is especially true, for example, of criminal consequences. I'm just going to heighten this for a second to make the point as clear as I can. There are sins and there are crimes. All crimes are sins, but not all sins are crimes. Some of you may have had a crime committed against you. Maybe when you were a child, someone did something really horrible to hurt you. And it was not just a personal offense between two peers that you can work out together, but a horrible crime committed against you as an innocent party. Does forgiveness mean that that person should not have to go to jail? Should not have to have certain consequences take place as a result? No. Forgiveness is absolutely possible while a person still has to pay for their crimes. This is why, this is why both New Testament and Old There are punishments associated with certain activities. God doesn't go, hey, because of Christ, because of forgiveness, there are no consequences for believers. You can do anything you want. You have no criminal consequences, no relational consequences, no church discipline consequences, no marital issue consequences. All that's untrue. God can both demand forgiveness and fully expect that there may have to be consequences for certain wrongs. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. 
Forgiveness is not the rebuilding of trust. Forgiveness is not the erasure of consequences. And lastly, forgiveness is not pretending that a wrong did not happen. It's not pretending that a wrong did not happen. Forgiveness is choosing to not hold on to those wrongs any longer, but that does not mean that in order to have a forgiving heart, you need to pretend as though those things never took place, pretending that you've never been wronged. We kind of use this language in Christianity, forgive and forget, and for good reason, because uh, the Bible does give us these ideas of God's just departing us from our sins, him throwing them as far as the east is from the west. Beautiful things that are true redemptively. But don't forget, God provides discipline for sin for even believers. She doesn't go, I don't see anything you've done wrong. That's not the way it works. Forgiveness is is not pretending that a wrong didn't happen. In fact, if we were to think that that's the case, we would miss out on so much of what forgiveness aims to do in a heart. Oftentimes, The things that we experience are used by God to shape us, particularly regarding these areas. They can be used by God to provide a warning to not do the same thing. I was thinking about uh, with my kids. My wife and I oftentimes, we're trying to encourage our our kids. if, if If a daughter gets wronged by a friend in some way, we try to encourage them. They need to forgive, explain how important that is. But we also ask them, how did it make you feel? How did it make you feel? When she did that thing to you, oh, it made me feel really sad. Yeah. So remember that feeling. If you do that to others, that may cause that same hurt, you see? So it's not pretending. Forgiveness is not pretending that a wrong didn't happen. It's choosing to deal with it rightly. Now, the problem with misunderstanding what forgiveness isn't, the problem with missing these things is that we may unnecessarily struggle with having a forgiving heart by setting the bar too high. In other words, maybe the reason that you're struggling with forgiveness is you don't understand what forgiveness is. The person who wronged you is unwilling to be reconciled because they refuse to acknowledge any wrong. Maybe you're not able to fully trust them at this time. Maybe there are still outstanding consequences for those sins, or simply you are unable to forget those things as they come to mind. You can't pretend like they never happened. But you see, a forgiving heart does not require all of those extra things. God certainly does demand forgiveness. He demands forgiveness of believers. But if you're a believer... You are absolutely capable of the forgiveness that God demands, what it is that he is placing on us. You can attain this. Forgiveness is a disposition of the heart, a disposition of the heart. True forgiveness does not require anything from another person. I want you to consider that for a moment. That's one of the central errors. Forgiveness can only be attained if the other person does something. No, wrong. Nope, nope. Forgiveness is it. you and your heart thing. True forgiveness does not require anything from that person. Let me show you Mark 11, 25. We'll see this on display here. Mark eleven twenty five. It's very simple. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So here you are, you and God, just you and God. There's no other friend next to you nearby that's going on in this text. 
How can you have peace with God? Forgiveness in your heart towards another if they've done anything against you. If you've got something against someone, you've got to let it go. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. The Bible fully expects that you are going to have to deal with people who will wrong you without an apology. The Bible fully expects you're going to have to deal with people in this way. Where people say, like, well, I can't, I can't forgive somebody until they've repented. Wrong. Wrong. You may not be able to be reconciled with that person until they repent, but you must come first with forgiveness in your heart. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So look at that again with me. Do not repay evil for evil. If a person repents of their wrong and comes to you to apologize, is that evil? No, that's good. That's wonderful. So don't repay the evil to a person because of their unrepented wrong against you. But instead, what should you do? Offer blessing. You offer mercy. If you're sitting around waiting for others to acknowledge their wrong, or in order for them to stop doing more of wrong things, if you're taking your cues about being a forgiving person from other people, you are not going to obtain a forgiving heart. Your forgiveness is on you, not on them. It'd be no surprise that forgiveness is an essential component for any kind of lasting peace in community with others. It, just, it has to be there. If it's not there, unity won't last for long. Because eventually someone's going to step on someone else's toe and you're going to have to forgive them for that. It's, in, it's inevitable that it's going to have to take place. It is a corporate concern in this way. It's got to be present in any community. And in particular right now in the church. But also, few things will be more emotionally draining for you personally, individually, than unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart. The Bible warns us against letting a root of bitterness take hold of your heart. Bitterness is a peace robber. Think about it like this. You and I have a dungeon in our heart. Think about this, this, uh, this illustration. When someone hurts you, you throw that person into that dungeon in your heart. They're on your dunzo list, right? And whenever you think about that person, whenever you dwell on how much they've hurt you, you make a visit down to that dungeon there again, you begin shouting into that cage behind the bars. And you do it over and over again. And when you have prisoners, one or many, in that dungeon in your heart, you will be tempted over and over to spend days, months, maybe even years dwelling on how they've hurt you. But someday you have to realize that even though they are the one behind the bars, you've been spending all your time in the dungeon with them. You see? So to forgive someone from your heart is to let the doors of the jail cell open and let them go. That's what it is. It's, it's Romans 12. As far as it is possible with you, be at peace with everyone. 
You know what? This, this wasn't in my notes, but it'll come, think, come to my mind right now. Romans chapter 12 is followed by Romans 13. Romans 12 concludes with this awesome couple of paragraphs about how to love one another well, forgive one another well, and have unity with others even if there's challenges and struggles, which is inevitable. And one thing we're reminded about there is that the Lord is an avenger. It's not your job to go chase out everybody else's wrongs even if they've actually wronged you. And what does God say to do? To leave it into his hands, to let it go, to surrender that judgment to him. But here's what's crazy. Romans 13 is the very next passage. And what it shows us there is that God has provided certain people in this particular place, it's the the authorities of the civil sphere, who have the sword that they bear not in vain, but to bring punishment against those who've done wrong. So what's the point? Romans 12 reminds us it is not your job to be a personal, individual avenger of wrongs against you, but to leave it into the hands of God. And so in your heart, in that dungeon in your heart, if you've got somebody in there, and you finally say, I I can't do this anymore. I can't span all my days down in this dungeon, shaking my fist at the many people who've wronged me, or that one person years ago who wronged me. And you're afraid that if I open that dungeon door and let the person out, they're not going to get their consequences. God's not going to have real justice come about. It's going to be pretending as though it never happened. It's going to make it as though I should go hang out with them and have coffee with them tomorrow morning, perhaps. Slow down. For peace in your heart, open the gate. Let the person go, and on your own behalf, I I don't have space in my heart as a believer to have a dungeon full of people against whom I cannot offer forgiveness. That's what the believer is to say. Some of you may have been hurt by someone in your life deeply. Maybe it even happened years ago. And you don't know how to manage that feeling. You don't know how to deal with that. In fact, in fact, you may even be the kind of person that is haunted by some of the commands of Jesus that I just read. I will not be forgiven if I don't offer forgiveness. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So maybe you're hurting twice. I've heard it said about bitterness that bitterness is drinking poison, expecting somebody else to die. When we hold that in, it hurts us over and over and over again. And so God's concern for us having forgiveness hearts certainly will impact the community. But it will absolutely impact your personal heart and life. You will not be able to walk around as a person with peace. You will not be able to walk around knowing that you have the forgiveness in your heart, the dungeon opened, and have peace with God in that. If you struggle with forgiveness, I found this uh, in my studies here I thought was really helpful. John Piper was once asked the exact question about, what, what about a person who struggles with forgiveness, a Christian, even though Jesus says so ferociously, if you won't forgive... You won't be forgiven. What do we do with that? His answer was this. I found it really helpful. I'll just read what he said here. Struggling to forgive is not what destroys us. As long as we are in the flesh, we will do our good deeds imperfectly, including forgiving and loving others. Jesus died to cover those imperfections. What destroys us is the settled position that we are not going to forgive. and We have no intention to forgive. 
destroys us is this. Stay in the dungeon. That kind of, that kind of feeling. God forgives the sins of the believer. That even includes your imperfect and incomplete forgiveness. Ever think of that? And that's what he reminds us of here. Because what's, what's this whole verse conclude with? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So what's our example of this? God. We look to God. See his example of perfect forgiveness. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4 says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If God was going to count our sins against us at Judgment Day, if he was going to open the books of judgment and look at the tally marks, who could stand before him? That's exactly what we see in Revelation 21. We we read that just this last uh, time we were in this text. Who could stand? No one. So we must be forgiven. But with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In other words, if you're a Christian today, you have received more forgiveness than you could possibly offer. And that's what we want for you if you're not a believer today. We want for your sins to be forgiven. You've probably wronged a ton of people in your life. But the one that matters most is God. Because the consequence for sinning against God is eternal separation from Him in hell. That's what the Bible tells us. But God displays perfect forgiveness even prior to our acknowledgement of our sins. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're not a believer today, we want for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died a sinner's death on a cross, that by that belief in him, you can have his righteousness, he gets your sin, he dies for your sin, and you live in his righteousness for forever. That's what we want for you. We want forgiveness of sins in Christ. If you're not a believer today, you don't yet have that forgiveness. But God offers it freely, extends that before you in a perfect model of forgiveness. Believe and be set free. Be pardoned of all sin. We forgive as forgiven people. And not only this, but if, there, if there's a person who has sinned against you as a believer, if a believer sinned against you, there's no sin that they've committed against you that God has not already forgiven them for in Christ Jesus on the cross. And so forgiveness is the indelible fruit of the Christian life. It takes practice. As you're sanctified, you'll get better at forgiveness. Over time. But do not make peace with bitterness. Do not make peace with unforgiveness, with an unforgiving attitude. For as long as you struggle with forgiveness, just keep on struggling. Don't give up the fight. It is critical for unity. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much and are grateful for the forgiveness that we've received in Christ Jesus. We know that there's nothing in us that is worthy of forgiveness, that is deserving of forgiveness. It is not as though we have done such a good job in so many other areas of our life that God just simply overlooks some of the minor imperfections in us. No, Lord, we know that we have sinned against you more grievously than anyone could possibly sin against us. 
Lord, your word tells us to forgive. Over and over, it compels us to forgive. It demands us. It puts this burden heavy on the shoulders of believers, but not without the help of the Holy Spirit reminding us how much we have been forgiven. Father, this morning, I particularly pray for my brothers and sisters who have struggled with forgiveness in the past, struggle right now in the present. Father, those who inevitably are going to have to face difficulties in forgiving people in the future. Lord, I know that the enemy would love to whisper in the ear and, and try to make forgiveness seem unattainable. It's impossible to do this. You could not possibly forgive another person if they don't do X, Y, or Z. But Father, I pray that you just help us to see in your word that the disposition of our heart is what you aim at, what you desire from us. Lord, help us to have forgiving hearts. Help us to, help us to be walking around with itchy trigger fingers ready to squeeze off a round of forgiveness in a moment's notice. Lord, help us to be a kind of people that have removed the doors of the dungeons in our hearts that we don't hold anyone for long. Father, help us to have peace in our hearts. Help us to be the kind of people that sleep deeply and well that, Lord, in spite of whatever wrongs we've been dealt by others in our lives, Lord, that we would just be the kind of people that drawing upon your perfect forgiveness, we would be quick to offer it to others. Lord, help us to overlook offenses. Help us to be the kind of people that when we smell complaints coming into our minds towards others, that we would just be quick to let them go and quickly reminded by how much you have forgiven us in Christ. Father, help us to bear with one another. Lord, if there are people in our lives that just are hard to put up with, I pray you just teach us to do that well. Help us to do it as an act of worship. Help us to do it with a smile on our face. Help us to be reminded by how much you put up with us, how, how slow you are to judgment with us, how slow you have been to bring uh, punishment for the things that we've ever done wrong. But Lord, you have forgiven and forgiven and forgiven we have so many sins we've committed against you that we won't even ever remember or know of until we stand before you face to face. Father, remind us that all of our forgiveness is not because of our goodness, but because of the perfections of Christ. And Lord, if there are those here who have not been forgiven by you, who have not repented of their sins and been reconciled to you, I pray that they would learn what that means from your word, that they would talk to a believer today, that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We pray all these things in Jesus' good and holy name.